Our economy is crashing. Inflation is out of control. Why are conservatives bad, Mommy? Because I thought we were supposed to conserve. <laughs> They'd actually breathe in my nostrils to make me move. Russia has joined with China. Okay. <laughs> the USA is a mess. This is not real. It's just a dream. Please, please wake up. A lot of good things to talk about in the hour. We're going to play some audio from KT McFarland, former Deputy National Security Advisor in the Trump administration. And she's going to give give us a forecast, a very sobering forecast of what we can expect in the 2024 elections. Um, Also, I want to spend some time talking about MSNBC. There's some interesting numbers that came out about how much Fox has been impacted since Tucker Carlson has been off. And it's pretty significant. 50, 60% of every other show uh, has taken a hit uh, to some degree. But they're still doing marginally well. Hannity's holding his own, although he has been impacted 30, 40%. And same for Laura Ingram as well. But, you know, they're still getting over a million. They're still beating the competition. But MSNBC is showing great strengths. And I think that they are the, at this point right now, they're, they're, they are the propaganda machine uh, for all things woke. It's amazing how much time they spend on the same several different subjects, abortion being one of the key subjects. It's, it's in power rotation. And then, of course, anything to do with Trump, uh, you won't hear anything about the Biden crime family or any of those things, except from the perspective of those are Republican talking points. And because they're Republican talking points, we don't talk about them here. We have other things to talk about, you know, like the latest Trump trial or the latest state to curtail transgender surgery for minors, which they are vehemently opposed to. Uh, And they're also very pro-Ukrainian, so they spit out whatever the Department of the National Intelligence tells them to spit out. If they spit out that Bakhmut falling was not a big deal, because that's the information the uh, Ukrainians want you to know, then that's what MSNBC is going to report. And let us not forget that Bill Gates is responsible for MSNBC. (laughs) Uh, Also, Byron York has some comments about uh, Tim Scott announcing his presidency. I thought that that might be worth a conversation or two. A strange truck, U-Haul truck, was ramming the White House last night, about two in the morning, I think it was. And uh, it made sort of some headlines. I mean, they're charging the truck driver with uh, attempting to kill the president or vice president, even though the truck was nowhere near the White House. But the truck was trying to get into the White House or through the White House gates. Uh, but a lot of people are suspicious. Then they say that maybe, you know, this truck was a setup or some sort of photo op because uh, it just seemed like out of nowhere, this empty truck. I mean, who would think that they could drive a truck into the White House? Is it possible that we could be just manipulated into thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, Joe Biden under attack. We have to have sympathy for him. There's the white supremacy we were talking about. Man driving a U-Haul truck with a Nazi flag in his in his truck. I mean, who drives around in a truck with her flag in the in the truck? Who knows? Uh, and then also Michael Letts is going to be along a little later. And, you know, in West Hollywood, which is where I spent a, a great number of my youthful years, uh, they recently enacted, they got rid of the police and they put in a citizen's patrol counseling kind of a thing, mediators, and then crime went crazy. And we're going to talk to Michael Letts about that. A very woke, progressive idea in California gone awry. Uh, that also happens to be, I think, the capital for 
well, it's one of the key cities that attracts the LGBTQ community. Uh, also, a lot of hookers in that area. Just a kind of a rundown, not-so-nice area of Hollywood. Anyway, so KT McFarland, she was on, I think it was Laura Ingram last night, and they were t- having an interchange about the 2024 election. And here is what the former Deputy National Security Advisor had to say about what she thinks is going to happen in the 2024 elections. We now have black and white evidence that the FBI interfered in the 2016 election. And then when they failed to get their candidate elected, Hillary Clinton, then they just set out to destroy the Trump administration. So then go back, go up to 2020. It was the CIA this time that got involved in the 2020 election with those 51 former intel agents who talked about the Hunter Biden laptop as total Russian disinformation. Mm. So they've gotten away with it for two elections. They're for sure going to get away with it, try to get away with it in 24, right? Because there's no consequence. The difference is in 2024, the evidence is there. We now have the Durham investigation. We have all the congressional investigations. There is now hard evidence that there was election interference by the U.S. intelligence agencies and the Department of Justice. They've got to be terrified, those individuals have to be terrified, that a Republican president comes in in the 2024 election with a Republican attorney general, investigates them and charges them all with the crimes they've committed over the last eight years. Well, we'll see about that. You're right. There are questions around these elections because of this interference. Do you think there will be election interference then in 24? Take it to the bank. They will absolutely interfere in 2024. We're not sure how, but they will absolutely interfere, not only because they're not going to like whoever the Republican candidate is, but because they're going to protect their own hides. That's why they're They were talking to their own people, and the whistleblowers have brought this up, that they were told, don't put anything on paper, just tell us orally. They knew that they were doing stuff wrong. They knew that they were going to be liable for prosecution. Yeah, it's it's too bad. I wish the media were more curious about all of this. Unfortunately, the media takes the narrative of the Democrat Party and runs with it, and then tries to cancel anybody who's not on board. Well, they're in the same position. They, they can't possibly admit they were wrong because that sort of cuts under, it, it just undercuts their whole reason for being. So they're going to continue to have the fake narrative and they're going to continue to cover up and pretend that nothing bad went on. I mean, they're all in it together. This is what the terrible thing is. These people are selling the country. Sh- they're just selling us out. Not only to yeah. foreign leaders, but they're, they're interfering in our elections. They're tearing up the Constitution. Why? Because they want to protect their jobs. They want to protect their ratings. It just, it just is. I never thought I would be this upset about how anybody in the government was performing. But this is just a gut punch to the American people. It sure is. I mean, I, I just so condescending, too. Just so condescending. And um, this is one of those things, because they've got the media on their side, because the apparatchiks, over at, at NBC, MSNBC and ABC are there, the New York Times, uh, the Washington uh, Post. These organizations, I think, revel in the fact that they can be a part of, of a national a coup. Uh, their disdain for Trump is, is, it is literally a syndrome. I wouldn't be, I would not want to be that afflicted in my hatred of anybody. I would not want to feel that much anger toward any human being. As much as I despise policies that I don't like Joe Biden enacting, I don't hate him personally. I mean, I have misgivings about some of his personality traits. But back in the 70s and 80s, I thought he was a pretty cool guy. And I think I I even thought, oh, I would vote for him. But that was when I was young and stupid. And I didn't know anything about politics. And I didn't know the 
the the degree of corruption. You know, you and I both know that politicians, you go, you see your name on the wall, people treat you differently. You go to restaurants, you get seats. You go out of town, people, hey, thanks. You know, your, your whole life is around this sort of glow that you have because you are an elected official, one of 535 in, in the House or one of the 100 in the Senate. And so after a while, you start to act as if it, that you're entitled to this. And I think Biden actually thinks that he has all the entitlement in the world. He's paid his debt. He's paid his dues. And he wants to be in there and show everybody what a tough guy he is. But the thing is, is that he, he has no self-awareness. Uh, Listen to the way he's trying to explain yesterday uh, about his reasons why he thinks he's doing good things for the economy. And there's a lot of other, for example, the idea that we're, uh, in terms of uh, taxes, that they refuse to, for example, we, uh, I was able to balance the budget and pass everything from the, the global warming bill. Anyway, I was able to cut by $1.7 billion in the first two years the deficit that we uh, were, were accumulating. And uh, because I was able to say to it that the 55 corporations in America that made 40, $400 billion or $40 billion, $400 billion, that uh, they, uh, they hit pay zero in tax. Zero. I, did, I did not edit anything that was just right off the whatever he was reading on the teleprompter. And don't feel bad if you don't understand what he's saying, because I couldn't follow it. I mean, the fact checkers verified that about 30% of what he said was actually true. The rest of it was not accurate or he was off by a few billion. <laughs> so this is the state of the, 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 the cognitive mind of a man who, in even calling something the climate warming bill, I mean, they, they haven't called it climate warming in 10 years. No, no, the official vernacular is climate crisis. And he can't even get that right. And that, uh, uh, But he was accurate in saying that he's spending a lot of money you, you find it interesting that Biden is refusing or has refused to admit that he's got a large-ass budget. And he should have known going in that he couldn't rightfully ask for a $1.6 trillion budget. Uh, and, and he knew he was going to be getting to this point where he thought he could negotiate and raise the debt ceiling and let the money be spent. And that's not what uh, McCarthy is doing. And by the way, most Americans think that what McCarthy is doing is right on. We can't just we can't just keep taking the United States credit card and upping the debt limit. Uh, we are all going to suffer. Right now, the average citizen in the United States uh, owes two hundred and fifty thousand dollars toward the debt. That's that's three hundred and thirty million Americans, and each one of us owes what is it two hundred and fifty thousand? That's just that's beyond. I can't even imagine. Those are pretty big numbers. And sooner or later, somebody's going to have to pay that. It's going to come out of your kid's pocket or your grandkid's pocket, and it's going to destroy the quality of life. So, And that's, that's the leadership coming out of Washington. Be right back.
Welcome back to Speaking Out America. JR here with you, rumbling through the paper, kind of seeing what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, something that Joe Biden, I, I meant to mention this, but he has this, he has a terrible habit of telling very, very bad stories. And there was an article, a uh, columnist that I like by the name of Matt Vespa, and he had remarked about how Joe Biden over the weekend when he was in Japan and talking to uh, soldiers there. He says, Joe Biden has spewed numerous lies, some bad, but not so much, some not so much. There is a difference between a grand slam and a base hit, but this lie is probably the worst for many reasons beyond political gain. Using your dead son to score points is unseemly, especially in front of U.S. service members. Matt Vespa writes, during his Japan trip, Biden once again declared that his son, Bo, who died of brain cancer, died in Iraq. That's patently false. Bo wasn't killed in action over there or the victim of an IED. He died stateside from brain cancer. But Joe keeps trotting out his dead son to channel his inner G.I. Joe, maybe even goading the press to attack him so he can pull the I'm a gold star parent card. Again, he can't do that because he isn't one, nor will he ever be in the case of Bo Biden. And, and this is what Biden had actually said when he was there. He said, President Biden told U.S. forces stationed in Japan that his son Bo perished in the Iraqi war. A video obtained exclusively by The Post reveals that after the president stoked questions about his own mental acuity by making the same incorrect claim at least twice last year as well. He said, my son was a major in the U.S. Army. We lost him in Iraq. That's what the 80-year-old president said during an informal visit with troops at Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni on Thursday. The traveling press corps, which has faced repeated access issues while covering the nation's oldest ever president, was kept far enough away that the remarks were inaudible, except that you could kind of hear it. I actually saw someone post it on Instagram, and you could hear what he's saying. And there again, the White House press office didn't even put out an official transcript of what he said, and nor do they feel obliged to. And of course, it was last year, Vespa writes, that Biden said, October of last year, that Bo lost his life in Iraq. Now, either the president is forgetting, uh, which is a pretty important thing to forget when you can't remember that where your where your son died. And he also trotted out some lies about the drunk driver that uh, killed his wife as well, because the, the driver was never convicted of driving drunk, but it did ruin his reputation. And I don't I think the man suffered immeasurably because of it. So you've got a situation here where the president is telling bragging about how smart and agile his mind is but he's either lying which would make him a you know a pathological liar or he's evil because he's using his son and his death as a way of scoring scoring political points but either way none of those options uh, result in having someone who has character i mean you could almost have sympathy for him if he was truly not remembering how his son died that would be actually something to behold and be but then you would have to make the leap from that and say, well, this man really isn't qualified to be the president. If he can't remember when his son died, what else is he forgetting? Like, who's he, who's he at war with? Possibly. Uh, the other thing, too, which is also interesting, and I didn't comment this on uh, in the KT McFarland piece that we had in the previous segment, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of chatter going on right now among NATO countries that they have to bring this Ukraine war to an end. The impact that it's having overseas 
on all these nations that are part of the EU and part of NATO is that they're they're taking in these Ukrainian refugees and they can't let them stay there forever. Eventually, these people need to go back to their country. And it's having a real strain on resources, just like what's happening now in our own border, uh, in our own poorest border, uh, and all these major cities around the country that are having to take in this influx of millions of, of immigrants. So the Europeans are going through the same thing, but it's because of the exiles that are been driven out of Ukraine because of the war. Now, Biden doesn't want the war to end. His advisors does not want this war to end. What they want is a regime change in Russia. That's the end game. That's the obvious end game, and that's why Putin is pushing back. They're not interested in the territorial integrity of Ukraine any more than they're interested in our own territorial integrity. I mean, you can see that plain as day. So think about what they would be willing to do uh, to have any hope of saving this election. Because they're not going to get Trump unless they can pull some rabbit out of the hat, which I don't see them doing in the next year and a half. They'll try. They'll, they'll try every trick in the book. I'm telling you, these people, like Casey said, are, they're frightened. They don't want this man in office because it means that for many of them, their political careers are over. You know, it's like a, a CEO coming in to take care of a company that's broken. And you know who among you, who among the employees uh, is doing something important for the company, uh, doing your duty, making it profitable, and the people who are just getting a fat check for doing nothing. And there are a lot of people right now, their main occupation is making sure that everybody's pronouns are correct. Apparently there was a glitch uh, last week where everybody in this, I think it was the State Department, got an email telling them that they need to respect people's pronouns or else. And uh, and people are saying, this, is this what our our pri- priority is right now? Making sure that people, and, and they even offered to give counseling to anybody who was uh, triggered by that email. It doesn't even make sense, but they're trying to woke up the department of, I think it's uh, the DOD. So that's where our priorities are at the deep state. And you could see somebody like Trump, he'll come in and say, we got to knock this crap off. We can't be doing this. This isn't what serving the American people is. There's such large S and Biden knows it. That's why he's trying to, to get that budget debt ceiling raised so he can spend more money and put us more in debt. Um, so yesterday, after Tim Scott announced his presidency, uh, it had the, the Twitter world and social media all a flutter. But here's Byron York of The Washington Times, a man whom I respect, and he has some insight into the Tim Scott uh, game-changer moment. Uh, he's very well-liked in Republican circles. Uh, if you go to South Carolina, um, where they don't really dump on politicians that much in interviews anyway, they'll say, you know, I really like Nikki Haley, and I love Tim Scott. Uh, so they, they have this real deep feeling for him. Uh, on the other hand, um, it actually makes for a very complex situation in one of the most important states. And that's actually right. I, I didn't really think about it from that term, but, you know, the vote will be diluted on primary day because you've got people who are dedicated uh, to Tim Scott and people that are dedicated to Nikki Haley. So they may cancel each other out in some way. Hey, coming up in a minute, we're going to talk with Michael Letts again about this West Hollywood 
colossal mistake they made in trying to get rid of def when they defunded the police and replaced them with counselors and mediators. All did not go well in that scenario, and we'll talk about that. Also, I, I want to introduce something I think is kind of fun. My friend and I were talking about it. The big craze right now is the 80s. You know, anything 1980s albums or outperforming CD sales, people are really digging the music of the 80s, the TV shows, and I thought it'd be kind of fun maybe a little bit later on we could... You know, delve into some good moments from the prior period when life was actually a lot better <laughs> without all the cell phones and computers and everything else. We'll be back in just a moment. Michael Letts on Speaking Out America is next. Michael Letts joins us from investusa.org. And we're going to talk about West Hollywood. And this kind of goes back to the defund the police movement that was going on that had caught fire. And well, now the city of West Hollywood uh, has been going through a lot of trouble since they've experimented with law enforcement. And Michael Letts is here to talk about that. Michael, thanks for coming back on Speaking Out America. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Thank you. It's always a privilege to be on your show. Uh, same here. Privilege to be able to uh, you to watch you continue to push the truth. That's all Americans want. They just want to be told the truth. Well, let's talk about West Hollywood and the failed experiment because we we learn from our mistakes, don't we? Well, we should. <laughs> we should. Never works out that way. Here's what's interesting with West Hollywood. They were one of the initial players, shall we say, that bought into Black Lives Matter. What was Black Lives Matter's big thing? Police are racist, we're bullies, we're all, you, you name it, we're, we're it. And here's what you need to do if we're going to deal with crime in this situation. Reduce, or get rid of, preferably get rid of, but at a minimum, reduce law enforcement, reduce officers, and bring in these, now they're calling them, they were calling them counselors, I think they came with a better name called ambassadors, to be able to be in crime areas, and get people to just love one another, and not commit any crimes, and everybody just get along, have a big kumbaya. Well, West Hollywood, as liberal as they are, bought into that uh, ideology. They were one of the first, got rid of their officers, not all of them, but they scaled back substantially. They took those dollars because you don't have to pay an ambassador as much. Of course, we'll talk about that in a minute, how that backfired. But they figured they could get more ambassadors instead of having – 10 cops that we no longer have, we can replace 10 with 15 ambassadors. Isn't this going to really help our crime situation? Well, away they went. Here's what happened. People, first of all, the criminal element in the parks or in the streets, looked at those ambassadors and probably broke out laughing. Remember, they're not armed. They're not in any way having any identification from law enforcement because, after all, that agitates and irritates criminals. So you don't want to do that. They're trying to help everybody get along. And so crime, instead of at least maintaining par, you would think, spiked. And because there was absolutely no respect for the ambassadors, it got so bad that even the liberals said, enough's enough. This is not working. We need to bring these officers back. Problem with that scenario, Jim, is when you fire good people, talk about officers, you show them no respect. You weren't paying them a whole lot to begin with. Then you come back and say, oh, we made a mistake. You want to come back to your old job? Did they get a resounding? No, we really don't. So they are scrambling at the moment. Their violent crime is just continuing to spiral upward. 20, 30, 
with no end in sight. And they can find nobody willing to step up to the plate. They brought in state police. They brought in others to try to help. And it just simply has backfired, and as all these liberal ideology policies do. And now, with, again, as I just mentioned a minute ago, Jim, what they fail to realize, burn me once, shame on me. I mean, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. These officers realize, you know, thank you for telling me what you really think about me, how much you really respect and support me. Got the message loud and clear. We're not coming back on people to take and then act accordingly. Michael, that's also is involved in Restoring Justice U.S. What is that? Tell us about that. That is a program that is part of INVEST, and here's why it's so important. We're giving you the two-second overview. INVEST's goal is to provide protection, bulletproof vests, mouthpiece, a spokesperson for our first responders, for our law enforcement, to make sure that they have the opportunity to fulfill their mission of protecting you and I. But I can't fulfill that mission of protecting our first responders if they are not respected in the community. Restoring justice has identified that there is such a corruption in our judicial system, whether that is in the court system or, quite frankly, this is a scary statement, but it's true, and we have to say it. We have federal agencies who have been weaponized and are now criminalizing their behavior. And when that happens, people lose respect for the badge. They don't care whether it's this federal officer on there or whether it's this city officer or state officer or county officer. They see a badge, they see a badge. So that is why Restore Justice was born, because we have to combat both issues if we're going to be able to do what is necessary to support our law enforcement across the board, across this great country of ours. Why would I make that statement, Jim? Mm -hmm. The FBI just recently, I mean, we're talking about things in the last few days, have been very, have been exposed. Their own agents, whistleblowers, are now being targeted, security clinchers, clearances are being revoked. They're being gone after because they are exposing the reality of what's happening behind the scenes. What what specifically am I talking about? Well, let's talk about the Durb report for just a moment. Very clearly, here's what I want your listeners to understand. The Durb report, in a nutshell, said, hey, there was no justification for Russia doing How does a typical investigation work? You make an allegation against me, Jim? First of all, I have to decide whether there's any validity that I break a law. Okay, there's no need to proceed if there's no law broken. Yeah. Once we determine that their law, that their accusation would be a violation of law, we then have to immediately set out and do a cursory overview. Is there any merit to what you're saying? Any substantiation? If there is, we open up an investigation and we move forward and let the uh, facts take us wherever they lead. In this particular case, the information was given by Hillary Clinton and the DNC. Uh, that doesn't sound good, but hey, it's, it's legal. They, they passed that stuff over to uh, the FBI, we accusing Trump of being a collaborator with the Russians. But then here is the troubling. This is very troubling, Jim. Yeah. The FBI did that cursory overview and found that not only was it not substantiated, it was actually false. But they ignored that and proceeded with warrant from the FISA court, et cetera. Jim, here's what I want your listeners to understand. That is criminal behavior. That's not incompetency. That's not I work too hard and, and we did oversight. That is direct criminal behavior. It's called obstruction of justice. It's called, you know, uh, tampering with an investigation. It's a criminal. It's a felony. And yet our FBI agents did felonious actions and have not been held accountable. What has happened? The only person above them is the Attorney General of the Department of Justice. 
He has defended their actions, and not only that, but he himself has lied under oath. That's perjury. Again, that is a felony, folks, to Congress on various testimonial matters concerning his involvement with intervention with Hunter Biden's investigation. When you have the very top law enforcement agencies that are not just acting weird or doing things that are that we don't agree with, that are actually committing felonies. That's you know, where do you go from there? I mean, the They're shame. At the very top. Yeah, I it, mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's shameful. It's unreal. This is why, and of course, I'm catching a lot of flack for this, but this is why I've been called all across the country on shows. Where do we go from here? You have two options, Jim. We either convene a military tribunal, and the military tribunals have already been convened. This is not something new. We do this all the time. We're doing them right now from things that happened in Afghanistan. You have a military tribunal. What is a military tribunal? It is not senior officers. It's not the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or your four-star general. Military tribunals are junior officers, captains, majors, colonels, that are charged as jurors immediately. They sit down. They take the information that's given to them. They determine within 30 days whether a violation of judicial law has occurred. If it has, they have within 30 days after that to recommend, okay, here is what the law says the penalty for that is. Here is the recommendation that needs to happen. That is the only way we're going to get justice because the Justice Department, the president, are not going to investigate themselves. So we either call for a military tribunal immediately and get this matter settled, or the other option is what happened in 1776. We all know what occurred then. It was called the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. Well, Michael, you've given us a lot to think about, and it would be such an embarrassment if it got to that point, but I think you're you're onto something. We have to think about when you have the lawmakers breaking the law, you have to do something. Other, otherwise, we don't have a country. It's like you don't have a country if you don't have a border. You don't have country if you don't have law and order. And then that's you're when exactly people... Right. And that's yeah. a whole other issue again. We talked about the last time on the border. I mean, there's yeah. so much further to update you on that. We'd have to do that another time, but yeah. it follows the same pattern. We are continually looking for ways to break the law so that we can accomplish a narrative. And when your top people are doing that, the time has come for action. Founder and president, CEO of Invest USA, also Michael Letts, that's with two T's.com as well. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for what you're doing for America. God bless you. God bless America. By his grace, we shall succeed. We'll be back. Speaking at America continues. Welcome back to Speaking Out America. Again, thanks to my guest, Michael Letts, for coming by and uh, talking to us about law enforcement and crime and all this stuff that we see going on around us. Michael Letts, and don't forget, investusa.org if you want to help out what he does and get involved. Um, Let's see, you know, good news from the Ford Motor Company. If I can pull it up here on the screen. Uh, Ford has reversed its course, and uh, they have, because of people like who listen to AM radio, uh, and the radio industry and the thousands of radio stations across the country and the people who work for those radio stations who all got a hold of their Congress people and said, no, we, we want AMs in our car. Thank you very much. So Ford has announced it has reversed its decision to remove AM from its vehicles and will also offer software updates to restore AM to vehicles already sold without AM. 
Uh, and, you know, a lot of people like you may not think of it in, in, in that term. Well, what's the difference, you know? But, you know, in every major city, there are tens of millions of people who listen to AM because it's the only place they can get the information. A lot of people who speak Spanish get most of their programming on AM. Oh, there's music on FM. But information, weather, weather alerts, things of that nature, traffic updates, uh, opinion shows, uh, debate, real, real debate on local issues on both sides of the political spectrum. It's not just a conservative thing as, as the lamestream media was trying to make it out to be. And there were people on the right who were thinking, oh, this is an attack on, on conservatism because a lot of conservative programming is on AM, which is true, and maybe there is some truth to it. I know that the advertising agency, uh, the big Madison Avenue ad agencies have steered multi-million dollar and multi-billion dollar industries away from advertising, and they're trying to financially choke conservative radio because they've convinced their uh, uh, whoever their customers are that people who listen to conservative talk are, are imbeciles or their money doesn't matter. And the, the fact of the matter is people who listen to conservative talk radio, and I've done my research on this, so I'm happy to send it to you, uh, they are typically the highest earners. They uh, sounds like I'm doing a commercial. Well, I am. I'm trying to tell you who listens to AM radio. They tend to be business owners, decision makers, people who travel, people who buy cars more often and buy more expensive cars. They're educators. They're political leaders. They're investment advisors. They're attorneys. They're landowners. They're land managers. They're land builders. They're building builders. They're brick builders. They're bridge builders. They're plane builders. They own planes, they fly planes, they make planes and cars. So in other words, AM is sort of woven into the fabric of, of the listening public. It's, in my opinion, one of the last places where you can actually get real people talking about real things without a filter. You can't get it on, on, uh, on the public access. For, there's no access. This is a thing people think that when they're listening to NPR and it's publicly funded... Uh, no, it's taxpayer funded, and there are donors and people who, philanderers, philanthropists who give enormous amounts of money because they like having those interesting shows about culture and, and shows about old jazz musicians that you've never heard of, or listening to the BBC overnights so you can hear what the woke English are up to. Uh, and, but that's not, there's no access. You can call into a talk show, and you might get through. You might not, but that's because somebody else did. And somebody's asking, now they got they got to keep it clean. But most of the time, if you're driving through uh, any town, and you tune on the radio, and you listen to what's going on on the AM, you'll see life going on. FM is, is so it's too clean. It's too septic, you know? Uh, and nowadays, everything kind of sounds the same, doesn't it? Don't you find that most radio stations uh, tend to sound the same, and they all have the same names, you know, Super and Kiss and and uh, what's that one, uh, Fred, and uh, they have all these, you know, Hot Country. In every town, there's at least one Hot Country. They're like fast food on the on the on the FM, and it's so commercialized and so processed. I mean, I, I think I have more to critique about FM than AM, and I love the quality of FM. 
I mean, that was a game changer in the 70s. I remember when we were listening to 93KHJ in L.A., and then, wow, came KLOS and everything was in stereo. It was cool. But it didn't kill AM. AM is where all the creativity stayed. And then, of course, with digital and now podcasting, AM and podcaster are a nice couple. And I think, actually, FM is facing a bigger challenge against the digital the digital side of things in AM. Anyway, so congratulations to Ford for, uh, you know, listening to the power of the people. The people have spoken, as they say. Uh, let's see, what else is going on I wanted to talk about? Oh, a great letter from Dennis Prager I wanted to read. You know, I, I, f I figured this out yesterday, and I've not heard anybody else say it. But you can have pride, but you can't be proud. That, that's the state of America. You can have pride, but you can't be proud. Because if you're proud, it means you might be a terrorist. But if, you're pr if you have pride, then you're most likely gay. And so let me see if I can find that. Is it here? Okay, here it is. Uh, the title is called, This Pride Stuff Isn't Healthy. And I'll, read, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it. And then I want to go into a great piece as part of our 80s spotlight and play a little clip from, from Seinfeld. Uh, there's a lot of Seinfeld floating around on social media, and there's just one bit that I have to play for you. It's probably one of the funniest moments uh, from an actor on Seinfeld. So we'll get to that. But uh, Dennis Prager wrote a good point about pride. Uh, and he recounts that when he was young, a friend of his gave him a book about Jewish pride, and he couldn't quite understand, you know, if, if, if he was born Jewish, uh, then what is he proud of? He didn't have anything to do with the fact that he was born Jewish. So why would there be this ethnic pride? And the same thing holds true for people who, say, argue that you're born gay or you're born a lesbian or you're born this, right? He says, if you're born a certain way, then how can you take credit for the fact that you were born that way? Why, what do you have pride in? You didn't do anything. He says, group pride is characteristic of all left-wing thought and activism. The most recent incarnation of group pride is LGBTQ pride. Every company, every professional sports team, every Democratic politician, even the armed forces and American embassies around the world are expected now to celebrate Pride Month. Pride Night and year-round LGBTQ Pride. And he says there's two problems with this. What are they proud of? What accomplishment is involved in being gay, lesbian, or bisexual? That's number two. And number one. Then he says even trans is allegedly built into one's nature. So the entire premise of the LGBTQ mo uh, movement, one that does not choose one's sexual orientation, what then are they proud of? What are they exposing pride in? So the other problem it has to do with the LGBTQ movement does not everything possible to bludgeon every institution into celebrating Pride Nights, days, weeks, and months. The reason is the totalitarian nature of all left-wing movements. Unlike liberal and conservative movements, every left-wing movement is totalitarian. Therefore, it is not enough for people to tolerate or even show respect for LGBTQ individuals. We must all celebrate lesbianism, homosexuality, the transgendered, the queer. No left-wing movement is a movement for tolerance. They are all movements that demand celebration. So I thought that was very apropos for him to put it in those terms, and he's absolutely right. And I've often asked myself, why all the celebration? Why all the pride? 
I mean, really that much? I mean, is it, did they do that much just by, by the mere fact that they have a sexual orientation different from my own, that they feel they need to celebrate it every day of the week? That sounds like narcissism. That sounds like fetishism to me. Anyway, let's, let's cool off a little bit and have some fun. Here's a great clip that has to do with a bar mitzvah on Seinfeld. Speaking of Dennis Prager and, and Jew eth ethnicity, uh, but you'll just have to really appreciate the comedic writing and the timing and the acting in this scene. And I know you're going to enjoy it on our 80s spotlight. Hello, I'm the Moyle. Oh, hello. It's very nice to meet you all. <laughs> what was that? She scared the hell out of me, my God. I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. Anyway, we're here to perform the mitzvah of the bris. <laughs> Is the baby going to cry like that? Is that how the baby cries with that loud, sustained, squealing cry? Because that could pose a problem. Do you have any control over your child? Because this will be the time to exercise it. When baby is crying in the high-pitched, squealing tone, that could drive you insane. Did you find the place all right? Did I find it all right? Could you send me to a more dangerous neighborhood? I'm dreading walking back to the subway. Someone shouldn't smack me over the head and steal my bag. Because I'll be lying there and people will spit on me and empty my pockets. I'll be lying in the gutter like a bum, like a dog, like a mutt, like a mongrel, like an animal. God forbid anybody should help me or call an ambulance. Oh, no, that's too much trouble to pick up a phone and press a few buttons. Ah, oh, what's the point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Darling, you see where that glass is? You see how that glass is near the edge of the table? You've got the whole table there to put the glass. Why you chose the absolute edge. So half the glass is hanging off the table. You breathe and that glass falls over. And then you got broken glass on the carpet. Embedded in the carpet fibers, deep, deep in the shag. Broken glass, bits of broken glass. You can never get up. You can't get it up with a vacuum cleaner. Even on your hands and knees with a magnifying glass, you'll never get all the pieces. And then you think you got it all. And then one day, two years later, you walk in barefoot, you step on a piece of broken glass and you kill yourself. Is that what you want? I don't think that's what you want, is it? Do you, huh? <laughs> I mean, they, they just don't write that kind of comedy anymore, do they? No, absolutely not. A moment from a Seinfeld clip. Yep. And, uh, and, and again, reminding me of just how funny the 80s were. See you next time on Speaking Out America.